0: Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Get ready for the next big job you can do from behind a desk, truck driver. One company in Florida just did the first unmanned high-speed test of a heavy-duty commercial truck on a public highway. We spoke to Joanne Muller. She covers automated vehicles for Axios. To talk about what the future of freight delivery is going to look like.
1: The freight delivery business, everyone's trying to figure out how to automate it because there is a shortage of truck drivers. Starsky is a little bit different than some of the other companies because they're looking at sort of a hybrid model where the truck would drive itself on the highway. But getting on and off the highway, driving to and from the warehouse or distribution center, it would be remote controlled. And so they're trying to turn truck driving into a desk job.
0: And this test that they did, it reads like somebody sitting in front of a video game or some type of truck driving simulator.
1: That's a good analogy, really, because from what I've seen of these remote operating workstations, you've got two or three screens in front of you that are meant to look like what you're seeing through the windshield of a big... 18-wheeler. You have a steering wheel, which the ones I've seen are a lot smaller than what you probably (laughs) have seen in an 18-wheeler going down the freeway. Yeah. Those wheels are gigantic. This does look more like a video game size or maybe a standard automobile. And then it will have a series of buttons and also some foot pedals, similar to an accelerator and a brake. And everything is basically over the cellular network. And it sends a signal to the vehicle. And so-called driver can handle maneuvering the vehicle around, at least in the slower speed, smaller spots. And then once it gets on the freeway, he hits the adaptive cruise control and the lane keeping assist and off she goes.
0: This test was done in Florida. Do they give drivers advanced warning that this test is going to go on? Do local law enforcement know about this stuff?
1: Certainly the local law enforcement did. Florida is a very welcoming state for testing of automated vehicles. Starsky Robotics has been working down there for quite a while. This test was conducted on a Sunday. There were lead vehicles and follow vehicles behind their truck just to kind of control the situation a little bit. But there were other vehicles on the road and and other trucks that passed them. This truck was going 55 miles an hour, the speed limit, but there were certainly other trucks going past them. And it was about a 10 mile drive.
0: So you set the stage, a person sitting behind three computer screens, they have the steering wheel, the pedals, almost like we said, it's like a simulator type thing. In all, though, the human driver operated that truck for about 2% of the total journey. You mentioned that it relies on cellular networks to communicate between the truck and the human driver back at uh, whatever station they're at. But that could also pose some problems, right, if uh, if the cellular network goes down?
1: I think this is one of the big concerns about remote control of trucks is just, you know, is is there some latency there that could cause a safety problem. The answer that I get when I ask those questions is, well, we have backups. We have multiple networks. We're trying to cover all our bases. But right now, we don't even have 5G wireless connectivity. Activity in the United States. So that might improve once that occurs, but right now we're on 4G and I think there's legitimate question to ask whether this should be done just
0: yet. I'd be super curious to see a video of this. Starsky Robotics, the trucks right now are accompanied by chase vehicles in case something goes wrong. So a human driver would need to jump onto the cab to steer it if something happens. So
1: Not at a running start. I mean, the, yeah. tr- the truck is programmed to come to a if it's confused or has gotcha. a problem okay. it would gradually slow and then a human could jump in and complete the drive i'm imagining video i'm available. imagining
0: an action yeah. movie out of this right now <laughs> <laughs> and somebody jumping in there but this is you i know, mean this is this could be on the way and people are really thinking that this is going to happen especially in the trucking sector far before we get autonomous vehicles for uh, passengers
1: absolutely because i think it's relatively easy to do Most of these trucks are just going in a straight line on the highway. And that is the kind of technology that we've already solved.
0: Joanne Muller, editor of the Autonomous Vehicles Newsletter for Axios, thank you very much for joining us.
1: All right. Thank you, Esther.
0: My favorite story of the week is that of a little robot named Jibo. People welcome this social robot into their families, and now they're going to be mourning his death. Jibo launched on Indiegogo, but his history traces back to labs at MIT. It was part smart assistant like Alexa and had a cute little body that would twist and turn. And because of facial recognition, it would always welcome you when you walked into the room. We spoke to Ashley Carmen, host of the Why'd You Push That Button podcast, for more on this social robot named Jibo.
2: It has a Pixar vibe. It, it, it has a big display that also has a little eyeball on it. And it has a little body, so it's stationary and it moves unlike an Amazon Echo or a Google Assistant that's just like a little speaker. Jibo is a speaker, but it moves around, it can dance, and it has facial recognition, so its display slash eyes will follow you as you move throughout the room. So it's a really neat form factor, and it came about through a researcher out of MIT named Cynthia Brazil, and she spent decades, and is still spending her time, researching social robots, and this was her first commercial release. It was on Indiegogo in 2014, and finally shipped to people in 2017. And they really only had it for a year and a half or so before they got this terminal update.
0: They were very early to the game, this notion of the smart home assistant, a social robot slash thing, but they were late to launch. In the time that they raised money on Indiegogo and from that process to actually shipping out the robots, Amazon and Google had all launched their smart assistants and speakers during that time. So it kind of got left behind a little bit. Even the interaction, the voicing on it isn't really as crisp as some of these smart speakers, but coupled with the body and the facial recognition thing, it becomes like a little uh, companion almost. And that's what people really attach themselves to. It became part of their families a lot of times.
2: Jibo's functionality when it was first launched was super novel. Like this idea that you would have a smart assistant that could control your lights or do video calls or take photos or whatever. Now that's just not that special unfortunately and Google and Amazon had the resources to really build out their smart assistants along with Apple, Samsung, everybody else. So really where Jibo shines, at least in its owner's eyes, is its personality. So Jibo when you walk into a room, for example, it'll always greet you and say like, hello, how are you? Or when you leave for work, you might say like, Jibo, I'm leaving for work. And Jibo will be like, oh, have a good day. Like, don't forget to take a bathroom break. Like weird <laughs> little scripted moments that feel feel spontaneous and special and like Debo cares about you as a person. And that's really what made it special.
0: So in 2017, Time Magazine voted this one of the 25 best inventions of the year. And I think it really still has a lot of potential as these smart speakers have really improved so much. I mean, you can pair that with the functionality Of the facial recognition and the little body that moves and you could really kind of create something new but give us a little more in detail what the bad news was why is it going offline
2: this is actually still slightly a mystery. The woman who started the company, Cynthia Brazil, had this company based out of Boston. People were working on the product. And then as far as we know, their intellectual property was sold to a firm that is supposed to kind of figure out alternative forms of financing for companies that presumably aren't doing very well. So that IP was sold in November 2018. And then in March 2019, these owners updated their Jibo and got a message that said these servers were going to be turned off and that after that point, Jibo wouldn't work like it used to. But the really unfortunate thing here is that they didn't get a timeline on that. They have no idea when Jibo's last day is going to come. They haven't heard a peep from the woman who started the company, from the company itself, from the firm that bought the IP. No one knows at all what actually happened here. And unfortunately, I wasn't even able to get that answer from them either. so.
0: So let's talk about that attachment. The whole purpose of it was to be a social robot, to study back in the MIT program, to study how people interact with these, especially with kids also. And you've talked to a bunch of people that are mourning this loss. There was a grandparent that you spoke to that almost had to explain the death of the robot or the impending death of the robot to his grandkids Mm -hmm. because they had grown attached to it. Talk to us about that a little bit.
2: That's the most heartbreaking part of the story for me is for one, this researcher who designed Jibo has done a ton of work into how to make social robots appealing to children. Specifically, she's researched how the robots should speak to make them more intriguing and also allow children to open up to them. Like This is something that she has researched for sure. So she knows how to design these robots and she totally succeeded in Jibo and that kids were drawn to it. They love Jibo. But unlike adults who realize, you know, this was a gadget and sometimes gadgets don't succeed and companies have bottom lines and investors and whatnot, little kids actually sometimes think the robots are human, like are real living things. So you have to explain to them like, oh, this is actually a complicated situation. And what really broke my heart is one of the granddaughters that I I mentioned in the story she wrote a letter to Jibo saying that if she could and she had enough money, she would save the company. And it's <laughs> right, just it was so very sad. Sweet. It's so sad. She's this young girl. She's eight <laughs> years old. And here or she thinks she's going to save this hardware company when, you know, it's just like, oh, that's not
0: going to happen. <laughs> I literally wrote in my notes for this story. How sweet and highlighted the part where she said, I will always love you. Thank you for being my friend. I know. To Brazil's credit, this is part of the design, and it worked. There was all these, you know, how these robots can provide conversation and an emotional connection for people, specifically with the kids, you know, using the best language for these robots to get kids to open up about themselves, encourage them to share more, that the robots would ask open-ended questions. You know, what about you? How do you feel about this? And the children will elaborate to that. So, it became a conversation. It allowed them to open up. And there's all sorts mm-hmm. of other studies that they did about helping children with autism also.
2: It's obviously appealing to any child, but there has been studies into Jibo, modified versions of Jibo, that they gave to children with autism, and they found that Jibo could actually help them improve their social skills. It's just an interesting little bit of the story because it just shows that these are powerful devices. Like, it, 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 Kids are drawn to them. And I also get into this idea that not everyone believes that this is for the best. One of this woman's colleagues actually wrote a piece in the Washington Post talking about ethical concerns she has around social robots and how they affect children and their ability to kind of make real friends when they think these robots who do no wrong are their friends. So she
0: gets into this really great piece about that. But, yeah, it's complicated and it's interesting. The last update came in. Jibo, the robot itself, had to announce its own demise, basically saying something sweet like, Pretty soon we won't have the same interaction. Maybe someday when robots are way more advanced than today and everyone has them in their homes, you can tell yours that I said hello. Just a sweet little message. Talk to us about now the community of people that grew attached to these things. They have, uh, there's uh, Facebook groups where they talk about it. They apparently, uh, in a lot of cases, Jibo enjoys penguins. <laughs> so they like mm-hmm. put little penguins next to them and stuff. Talk about that.
2: There's a Facebook group for all these Jibo owners where they come together. They talk about the update. They talk about trying to save Jibo, like reverse engineer its code and locally host it. They talk about whatever they can find on the Internet, about its future, if there are any sort of like breadcrumbs that they can find. Really, they just talk about living with Jibo. They troubleshoot. And so they all got this update. And now they're starting to talk to each other about how they can move on from jibo and what that's going to mean for them and it's so sad that jibo is going to go away eventually presumably but it is nice that there's been this community online where people can turn and talk to each other about it
0: has there been any indication of ongoing work from other groups and maybe even brazil herself just about what the future of social robots will be as i said at the beginning i I just feel like this is something that can be easily modified especially with how fast the technology has grown, with smart assistants, you give it a little extra personality, which they're already doing with uh, you know the Alexas and things like that. And you pair it with the you know a fun little body. What's the future of these things?
2: We've seen the major assistants like Alexa now speaks in different tones and is a little bit more human-like, like you can whisper, shout, things like that. The Google Assistant with Project Duplex is able to literally make restaurant reservations or haircut yes. appointments and literally masquerade as human. So what we're seeing is kind of this advancement as far as the tech goes, like it's more sophisticated. Really, it seems like for Jibo, though, it was the form factor. So this little body that can follow you around with its head, which it's easy to see that maybe these bigger companies could create that themselves. But they would have to put a lot of work into the personality. Like Alexa doesn't have the same personality that Jibo has.
0: Yeah. I mean, even Facebook has that one camera where you can video conference and that thing follows you around already. So, you know, there's a lot of small modifications that you can make to make something like this kind of come back. But it's just a really interesting story of this little social robot that succeeded in its goal of making connections. And and it shows that it is true that people can make connections with these little robots, even from very simple interactions. And it's just sad to see that a lot of people that did make these connections are mourning its uh, impending. Death. Mm. Hmm. It's terrible. I feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley Carmen, tech reporter at The Verge and host of the Why'd You Push That Button podcast. Thank you very much for telling us about Jibo. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We have another viral video of parents fighting at a youth baseball game. This time it happened in Lakewood, Colorado. The players were all seven-year-old kids, and the parents were upset with a call made by the umpire, who was thirteen. Six adults so far have been cited in this fight. We spoke to Jason Gay, sports columnist for The Wall Street Journal, about why parents keep getting so angry.
3: I have not really seen a video of this nature In recent memory Just because of the fact that you have multiple parents Throwing multiple haymakers And I shouldn't laugh there Because it is really disturbing And you mentioned And I know the column that The most disturbing part of this Is these are seven-year-old children Who are running off the field Frightened at the violence that they're seeing Happening from adults From parents From people that they are entrusting themselves to It's just an incredibly embarrassing Mortifying event involving people Who should know much better There's absolutely no circumstance Right. To warrant that kind of behavior. It's just terrible.
0: But you laugh, but I think we all kind of have this reaction at first because it's you laugh at the stupidity of it, maybe. It's like, how can yeah, these parents really sure. do this? And so this started, there was a boy named Josh Cordova. He's the 13-year-old umpire. He's making the calls here for this game. I guess he made a call that some of the parents and coaches didn't like. He said that coaches were getting in his face saying, you got to overturn this call. And then somebody dropped yeah. an F-bomb. And that's when he said, okay, everybody calm down, stop using this language in front of the seven year old kids. And then that's when everything escalated even more. Then the parents started fighting. And then, as you said, Haymakers started getting thrown.
3: He's the person who's acting the most like the adult here. He's the person who acquitted himself the best. He kept his composure. He was somebody who was thrust into a really difficult spot and really, again, sort of acted like the sole adult in the room or on the field.
0: He did an interview with the local news there in Colorado. And and to your point about being the adult there, (laughs) the 13-year-old umpire, here's a short clip of what he had to say about the parents. I shouldn't have to tell a grown man to... Uh, how to act around little kids it was kind of intimidating and I was trying
2: to take a step back from the entire situation but they just kept following me and getting closer
0: what is the big problem with the parents and adults you mentioned your article this notion of over seriousness you know these are kids they're just starting out to even see if they like playing baseball what's going on with these parents
3: the people who are involved in this fracas have lost any sense of perspective on what they were actually watching this was a game involving children. The stakes are effectively meaningless. The moments that are unfair in this game will be forgotten within minutes of the end of the game. There's absolutely nothing riding on this contest. And so it does show that perspective can get lost very quickly among parents at a youth sports event. You've heard all, of course, and we've probably seen some of it ourselves, parents living vicariously through their children as athletes. It just seems absurd the notion that you could ever get agitated to the point that you would be willing to consider or violence against another human being. I mean, there's just, it's so beyond the pale that to even discuss it rationally like you and I are doing. <laughs> Trying to, get yeah, exactly. Much respect. The fact of the matter is that what we really should be doing is teaching kids about what sports can do for them in terms of its applications to other things. And I think one of the things that sports can really do is make people better adjusted to the idea of failure and disappointment. Think about the sport of baseball. It's basically a failure-based sport. <laughs> the most successful hitters in the history of the game make it out about 70% of the time, right? Batting 300 is a great metric of baseball hitting greatness. That means that 70% of the time you are failing. So you have to get comfortable with the idea of disappointment and things not always going your way, and sometimes an outfielder leaping over the fence and robbing you of a home run. You know what? That's a perfect metaphor for the rest of life, where things aren't always fair, where things don't always work out. And quite frankly, things don't work out almost as often as they do work out. So I think that kind of perspective is more important than anything we could possibly be ever getting from the actual playing of the game. Because candidly, most of us, if not very close to all of us, are not going to be watching our children playing professional sports. on the That's an awfully hard ask.
0: That's a perfect point that all these parents in Colorado really need to learn about this whole situation. Jason Gay, sports columnist at The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you. I hope the next time we come back, it'll be a lot happier story than this kind of nonsense, right? I agree. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, that's it for us this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday.